You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. Reminder that tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Urban Consulate in Detroit, you can join us in the parlor there to talk and hear about Created Equal, a new podcast that we have here at WDET. It's a podcast that looks at modern issues of inequality through the lens of history and storytelling. I'll be there along with Laura Weber Davis, one of the producers here on Detroit Today, who is the executive producer of Created Equal. We'll listen to a couple of episodes of the podcast and talk about uh, inequality and uh, the issues that surround us. So if you're interested, uh, go RSVP with the Urban Consulate online. Um, The Standing Rock Sioux tribe had a victory recently with the halting of an oil pipeline that would put their drinking water supply at risk. But the tribe and its supporters still face a court battle with the oil company that wants to move forward with the construction of the line. Meanwhile, thousands of protesters in Cannonball, North Dakota, have been hit hard with blizzards and freezing temperatures. Detroit Free Press reporter Robert Allen was recently there uh, covering the protests, and he joins me now to talk about it. Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Great yeah, to be back here. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've talked to a couple people who've gone to Standing Rock uh, to cover these protests, and they all describe the sort of surreal nature of the landscape, of the protests themselves, of the people who are there. This really sounds like a, a transcendent kind of experience, not just for the people who are involved, but for journalists who show up and, and want to write about it. And many, many journalists there were out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was quite the experience. You know, when you have this coming together, there's, you know, a lot of these Native American peoples who've, the seven tribes who've been living there for years, we had Native Americans from Michigan who came to join them. And then we also had, yeah, it was a mix of uh, kind of the folks you'd see at like the Occupy movement mm-hmm. crowd. And then veterans arrived, uh, yeah, last right. weekend, I guess the weekend before last. Sure. And that was when things really came to a, uh, I guess, came to came to a moment came of to confusion. A head. Yeah, of yeah. And, and so describe what, what happened there while you were there, which, I mean, it's wonderful timing on your point to have – uh, been there when all of this sort of came to a head. Yeah, actually, I was uh, a little nervous when I got on the airplane, <laughs> thinking that they were going to have the roads shut down. There were a lot of mixed messages, mixed signals coming from law enforcement at all levels out there. And uh, anyway, the the uh, experience of being out there when that news came down, um, you could definitely you could just feel the elation. And the timing of it was funny because they had just done a prayer circle around the entire camp, and people were you know locked hand in hand. And that was when, right when they were doing that, was when the word came out that this, uh, you know, easement had been denied for right. drilling under the water source. Right. Uh, and it's a temporary victory, but but it's it felt, uh, from afar at least, like uh, a, a meaningful one nonetheless. That that uh, people there really took to heart the fact that their activism was able to turn away something that they thought was going to hurt their community. I think in the scope of what people had been through out there over the past several months, it was the first time that they'd actually felt like, you know, some success, some things going their way. But once you got to talking to some of the people out there who were really involved with it, uh, nobody believes that we're anywhere near the end of this story. I think the Dakota Access uh, pipeline is just as 
much uh, looking at looking as likely to happen as it was before, is it really? frankly. And that's because of this uh, this lawsuit that that still looms. Well, right? there's there's this uh, change in the federal government that's going to occur uh, sure. around January twentieth, right. and it's you know the only thing that's really stopping it at this point is the Obama administration, and yeah. so. Uh, you know, once Trump's in power, I don't know that he's said anything to indicate he's on the same side as the so-called water protectors. Uh-huh. But your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Robert Allen, a reporter with the Detroit Free Press. He was at Standing Rock in North Dakota when the Army Corps of Engineers rejected the permit for the oil pipeline that uh, people there say will put their drinking water supply at risk. Uh, if you want to give us a call, join the conversation, talk about the Army Corps of Engineers' decision uh, to not go ahead at this point with the pipeline, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Robert, uh, Covering something like this is always uh, difficult, I feel like, because uh, you are dealing with such an emotionally charged issue for the people who are involved. Talk about the people you met uh, there and and how you were able to get them to to warm up enough to to talk to you about what was going on. It was it was quite the mix out there. And, you know, my goal from the moment I set foot on the ground out there was to find Michigan people. Yeah. And uh, I found, you know, a couple of veterans and then by by Monday, I actually found the tent where all the uh, the folks, most of them from the kind of Kalamazoo area, were staying. And it was, uh, you you know, once once you get face to face with somebody out yeah. there, they are pretty excited that that we're there to to tell their story. Yeah. Um. You know, you you have to be objective and look at this thing from the from the big picture, but. Um, at the same time, it was, uh, it, there, there was even on the airplane when I was heading out there, there were people who were on their way who were bashing the, you know, mainstream media for not paying any attention. Yeah. And so I think by going out there and being able to tell the, you know, the full story from the ground out there, I, I think we were appreciated overall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the weather? I mean, that has played such a role, I think, and has is threatening to play an even bigger role in the sustainability of these protests. Uh, how, how cold was it? Well, having slept in the back of a pickup truck for three days out there, I can tell you it was biting. And uh, I actually had to use a lot of gasoline to keep myself warm uh, inside of there because it was numbing. And around, uh, I don't know, mid-afternoon on Monday was when the blizzard just swept in. And you're talking about a... Uh, uh, a camp scene that was very jubilant, a lot of people in, in high spirits from the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers decision who were suddenly just ducking for cover. These tents are rattling, all yeah. the flags out there, just like <laughs> flashing back and forth. Yeah, And it was horrid. And myself and a couple of guys from the Des Moines Register came to a moment where we were just like, okay, we got to get out of here. We're going to be stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people who were willing to stick it out, and they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, w- one thing I've heard from people about this uh, is they say, well, this is this is a Native American protest, and there's no question that the land that this pipeline threatens uh, is in a is in a uh, is in an Indian reservation, and that was how the protest started. But uh, as you point out, you met people from Michigan there. Uh, and I imagine that these are people of all kinds of different backgrounds who are out there 
sort of joining arms with the Native Americans to try to push this back. Talk about who the folks from Michigan were. And whether these folks from Kalamazoo were there because, well, they had their own uh, oil pipeline spill in a, in, a, in a drinking supply. I would imagine there's some, some, some sort of uh, kindred spirit going on there. Yes, this was actually uh, the, the bulk of the people from the Kalamazoo area were from the, and forgive me if I'm not saying this right, but Pokagon of the Potawatomi okay. tribe. And they came out, they brought a U-Haul full of firewood. And so they came out there to actually help with the effort out there. I yeah. spoke with a woman who's uh, 53 and uh, had, had grown up in Flint and had uh, a really just a really rough life, frankly. Um, she said as a Native American, the yeah. only Native American in her class, she was uh, frequently abused as a child. And, yeah. Uh, ended up in, in prison for triple dr- drunken driving charges and then came out there as wow. this sort of cathartic moment in her life where she felt like she was banding with her people and standing for something. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other hand, in the same tent, the same tent where we're all eating uh, breakfast burritos, uh, there was a guy from Ann Arbor who had just quit his job with the University of Michigan Law School wow. and 23-year-old and felt moved to go and stand for something. Just himself. show solidarity. Uh, wow. He saw what was going on and he wanted to be a part of this social justice movement. Yeah. Wow. That's really, that's really fascinating. Uh, let's go to uh, the phones here. Chuck, Chuck and Franklin, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, um, I just wanted to comment that I really have not seen in the pages of the free press, nor anywhere on public radio, not just limiting it to your show, Stephen, um, the other side of this story. And just for the benefit of your audience, um, Kevin Kramer, the U.S. representative from uh, North Dakota, uh-huh. um, wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal um, last week that was a kind of a comprehensive takedown of the protesters' case. And I'll post it to the Facebook page um, later on today when you get this uh, segment up. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just I, I never hear the point that um, federal courts have looked at this case at least twice, Mm-hmm. Um, they've looked at the activities of the protesters. The protesters have been in violation of a number of court orders. Um, th- there was a it, there was an improvised explosive device that Representative Kramer pointed out in his op-ed that was set off on a bridge uh, near the the um, the sure. protest site. So, so, so the I guess... notion that it's a kind of a a Woodstock of uh, environmental good feelings. Um, is really terribly misleading. Uh, well, okay. Well, uh, Chuck, we have somebody here who was there. Robert Allen, uh, talk about the the tenor of the protest. And I would say that uh, I think on the forefront of everybody's mind as those veterans were heading out there was that this could get even uglier than we've seen previously. Yeah, It was uh, the veterans actually issued an operations order where they planned to storm the line and go through and put their arms around each other at uh-huh. the drilling pad. Yeah. Um, now, what we saw was peace. When I was out there, uh, actually, as I was driving out there, I was asked three times by people standing on the side of the road whether I had drugs, alcohol, or weapons. And when I got into the camp, I spent uh, quite a bit of time out there at night. There was there was a lot of people uh, dancing, you know, and celebrating, <laughs> but I watched very closely. I didn't see anybody drinking or you know, using yeah. drugs, using weapons. I did smell a little bit of pot here and there. Yeah. 
Um, and then I, I know what you're talking about with that explosive device. I've heard mixed messages. I know that uh, that was the one that reportedly took off a large part of a woman's arm. And uh, that occurred around the same time that people were, I, I believe the numbers are that like hundreds of people have had hypothermia and all right. these different uh, Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's no question that in any sort of movement of civil disobedience, you get this sort of pushback that says the problem is the protesters, not the issue that they're protesting. I mean, uh, one way to look at that is the, you know, the real violence here really is the idea of threatening someone's drinking supply. Uh, and and that, that has to be met with some sort of resistance. And I think that's the idea behind the protest. Well, and if you look at the history of this land, uh, one thing that has really motivated these, and they like to be called water protectors, but yes, they're protesters by the definition that we use. Um, yeah. They were on, uh, you know, in October, private land when they were when they uh, had a hundred and some odd of them arrested right. and forced off. Well, if you look at the Treaty of 1851 that originally gave the Sioux tribe in that area uh, uh, land to call their own, that was on that land. And over time, the federal government has has just gone right, right. as we've seen it back on it, over right. the centuries. It's happened over and over and over with this population. Great reminder of uh, the history there. All right, uh, Robert Allen, reporter with the Detroit Free Press. Thank you very much for being here Thanks, on Detroit Stephen. Today. Absolutely. A uh, reminder that from 5 to 7 today, you can go to the Urban's Consulate to uh, talk with me and with Laura Weber Davis about Created Equal, our new podcast about inequality through the lens of history and storytelling. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. We'll see you tomorrow.